Welcome, everybody, to the Gate Expectations podcast, where I bring in a weekly guest, talk all things Yu-Gi-Oh!, and get to know a little more about each person I talk to. This is the only Yu-Gi-Oh! podcast that is run by a full-fledged journalist such as myself. This is episode 21. If you haven't checked it out yet, you can check out earlier podcasts with guests like Stephen Trifonoski, Jesse Cotton, Team Samurai X1, Doug Zeef, Farfa, Crush Cards, and many more. My guest for this week is a TCG player writer and a site director for two major Yu-Gi-Oh! websites you've probably used at one point for information. He is a longtime veteran of the game, playing since 2001. It is Dan Parker. Dan, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Happy to be here. And I'm really glad to have you on. And I know that, you know, nowadays in, in today's Yu-Gi-Oh! world, like Yu-Gi-Oh! information is so much easier to access than way before it was like back in like the early 2000s when uh, you and I started getting into the game now. And you are a major player behind it because you are the site director of both Yu-Gi-Pedia and uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! organization, if I recall correctly. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so what like got you into getting those two projects started? Uh, so a lot of it dates back to just as I was growing up following things like metagame.com and then it ultimately culminated in just having nothing else to do when I was living in Australia to launch a Yugi organization. Yugipedia came about because the company Wikia had rebranded as fandom and changed a lot of their direction. And the staff of the Yu-Gi-Oh! Wikia were incredibly unhappy with those decisions. So they approached me about hosting a new one for them to all do their work on. Mm -hmm. so, how, so how come they approached you specifically on that? Uh, there's not universal, but majoritative staff overlap of the admins on Yugipedia. There's about 10 of them. Six of them are also staff members on Yu-Gi-Oh! organization. So they're already well acquainted with things like my leadership and direction style as far as running a website and a team goes. And they wanted to have that same sort of approach to a new site that they were going to work on. So why don't you tell me more then about each website? Let's start with Yu-Gi-Pedia. Let's start with that. What's, uh, what is that one all about? So Yu-Gi-Pedia is, as the name implies, a Yu-Gi-Oh! Wikipedia. It is ultimately just a place to archive as much information about the Yu-Gi-Oh! brand as possible, anime, video games, obviously the cards and so on. It's just, uh, it's what's called a fork where you just clone an existing wiki and then branch off on your own path. So the existing Yu-Gi-Oh! wiki is still there, but all of the active editors and admins and staff members from it have all left to continue their work in a new direction with new aesthetics and new policies and goals. So what, what are those like the differences then, but between all those, like those policies and goals, for example. Uh, so the first one is just literally going to be aesthetic based, which is a lot of the skins and stuff that are very popular that fandom had cycled out. We brought back mm -hmm. as well as placements and abundance of advertisements. Fandom had gone so far as to steal YouTube videos from other Yu-Gi-Oh! content creators like um, Cyber Knight. Cyber Knight did a box opening for the Legendary Dragon decks, mm -hmm. and the fandom company stole his video, muted it, and had one of their employees do their own voiceover, where oh, wow. all, they, all they do is read the opening paragraph of the Legendary Dragon decks article, 
over the video. And the reason they do it is so that they can put ads that they can monetize in those videos that they'd made, they forcefully put on the pages and the editors could not remove the videos from the page. Oh, was there like any kind of like legality issues regarding doing that? Oh, I'm sure there's tons, but I'm, I'm, we pointed it out to Caleb. I showed him like, Hey, your video has been stolen here. What, what do you want to do about it? But it's ultimately on him, how he wants to protect his intellectual property on that front. Mm -hmm. But ultimately fandom does own the Yu-Gi-Oh Wikia and what they want to do with it is entirely up to them. But there was like something called a portable info box, which is basically just the container that has all of the information about the card in it. They wanted to change it and how it's done so that they could put ads like inside the card details. Like we're talking like a little banner ad that separates the level of the card from the attack and defense of the card when you're reading the stat. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the staff pushed back on that and they pushed back saying, well, if we do this, then it will make the Yu-Gi-Oh! Wikia work better on mobile. And mm -hmm. the admins on the Yu-Gi-Oh! Wiki were like, no, we don't want this. And one member of the 20 people they had on staff said, I like that idea. And fandom took the initiative to say, since one person said it's okay, that's good enough. And they changed, oh. pushed the, oh, forced the change through. So the very first thing we did was get rid of that when we forked. Uh, we do have some ads on Yugipedia, but they're very minimal and out of the way, like way off on the left and stuff so that they don't interact with the content at all. That's always been a huge goal of mine. If you go to like Yugi organization, there's ads all over the damn place. Got to keep the, the lights on, obviously. But if you're actually looking at the article itself, from the title of the article to the last word of the article, there's no advertisements within the content itself whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I just get the when I go to the organization, at least when I start off, I always get that little like bar at the bottom that kind of pops up and some ads on the side, but no, nothing that really interferes with it. And like, the, thank God, because that's what if you're going to put ads, at least keep it out of the way. And I'm sure that's uh, kind of annoying for a lot of people that, you know, are trying to read like any website for that matter. Yeah, we, we try to make sure that we don't have ads that cause like horizontal scroll bars or pop ups or redirects. Uh, audio playing is the biggest concern. If there is an ad playing audio, I will have it destroyed from space. Like I am on that like crazy. <laughs> That's basically what my job is. Every minute I'm awake is monitoring the ads, making sure that they aren't malicious in any way. Yeah, and that always happens to me every time I do fantasy football research. I have, there's always like something playing in the background or like an auto scrolling ad, which bothers the ever living heck out of me. So I'm, I'm glad that like. You, there's like some sense of like ad placement to kind of get that out of the way. Cause I'm sure like that's a big, big annoyance for like a lot of people who like try, are trying to read a lot of these articles or like the videos that we have. Out. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> th there's ever changing challenges involved with it. There's mm -hmm. way too many advertisers and way too many ad types to keep track of it on your own. Nobody could ever do that. So mm -hmm. what you end up doing is something called header bidding where all the different advertising companies, Amazon, Google, and so on, all bid for that space on how much they're willing to pay per 1,000 impressions. So you come to the site and refresh a thousand times, that would be cool, that'd be a thousand impressions. Um, there is a floor that you put on it, like a minimum starting bid of let's say 40 cents. And that way the people creating these malicious ads were like, hey, you want a $100,000 thing, click here. They're not going to be willing to bid like a dollar per thousand impressions. You take more money from them than they're going to get from their scams. Mm -hmm. So these 
these auctions help prevent that sort of thing from happening. But every mm -hmm. once in a while, like there was a really big change on iOS where they're they're in the name of privacy, as they put it, there was like no more cookie storage, which meant you no longer had any value as a demographic when you came to if you come from like Facebook to your organization or any other website on an iPhone, there's mm -hmm. no way for it to know that you did that anymore. Mm -hmm. So you had no way of being categorized into the different um, like 18 to 49, like, you know, demographics and stuff, which meant there was no auction for your group. So for like two mm -hmm. weeks there, people bidding even like a one thousandth of a cent for that space were winning those auctions because they were the only ones mm -hmm. bidding on it. And it created a yeah. ton of malicious advertisements. This is almost like uh, targeted uh, adding in a sense, like targeted ads in a sense. So they, they do try to populate based on, and it's actually usually done for like research purposes. I'm sure if you've come to your organization, you've probably seen an ad for like Tide Laundry Soap. And I can tell you, nobody 18 to 25 is going to buy their laundry soap off of a Yu-Gi-Oh website. That's just not going to happen. Yeah. But the point of the ad being there is to prove that they, they aren't putting the ad there to actually sell the soap. They're putting it there to prove that that demographic isn't interested in online purchasing of it. So they don't try and sell it on Amazon and stuff. Mm -hmm. So then what, what do you do then as, as a site director for Yu-Gi-Pedia, first of all? So ultimately it comes down to just being the final arbiter on all calls as far as like a major change is going to be concerned. If we want to have like, um, gosh, what's a like recent example? If you go to like the blue eyes, white dragon card page, which copy of the card is going to be there? Do you want to go with the maximum gold print? Cause it's the newest printing of the card, or do you want to mm -hmm. go with whatever the most recent text is on it? The most recent artwork that we've found, stuff like that. And just as far as like priorities and orders and goals, we have something called Fabricator spelled with a PH that is yeah. essentially a massive online whiteboard of here's everything that needs to get done. And I like delegate each person, like this is the best person for that task. This is the best person for that task. I can handle this task. I can do that task and so on. And we just try and get all of those things done. Mm -hmm. So when you, how do you like monitor um, the edits that happen, especially since like it's it's a PDF first of all, and it, that anybody could edit. Like, how do you monitor all that to make sure that all the information coming out is supposed to be like correct and accurate? So any change made at all will go at the very top of the list on the recent changes page of Yugipedia. You could, in theory, just leave that page open and refresh it all day, and you'd see every change made on the site. Period. We have, as I mentioned, a huge staff of administrators who are constantly monitoring that they even have bots that send them a little almost like a little email saying hey somebody with only an ip address for your username just made an edit you may want to go check it um, mm -hmm. the edits are also scored in size so how many bytes the page has gained or decreased and if there's a change of like minus 800 kilobytes or something somebody went through and erased a bunch of paragraphs and undoing mm -hmm. that is as simple as clicking a single button, revert, change, and everything goes away. If you want to actually edit a page, you have to sign it and give a reason why and cite the source of your change. And if you don't, then it gets flagged and doesn't go live unless an admin goes in and approves it. And then there's also certain pages that we protect. So if it's, for example, a new set, Blazing Vortex is coming soon, all of the card pages for that and all the texts on it 
are protected, the only one who can edit those are administrators who are logged in. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming you, you would be one of those administrators. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, how much work do you, like, actually, like, put into the, the Yu-Gi-Oh! site, considering, it, considering, first of all, Yu-Gi-Oh! is a game that's, like, changing ever so constantly. So, most of my work and attention goes to your organization rather than Pedia, because the Pedia staff mm -hmm. are so fluent and entrenched in what they're doing, and I wasn't myself mm -hmm. an admin of the Yu-Gi-Oh! Wikia, so a lot mm -hmm. of, like, what they'd been doing for 12, 13 years before I came along, they're just continuing to do on the new platform, and I'm trusting them to continue to do that. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, I just, like, I'm in a Discord server for Yugipedia, and occasionally I'll get a tag in the staff chat, hey, Dan, blank broke, can you go take a look? Or, hey, Dan, we're trying to decide if we should make the default landing page for let's say blue eyes by dragon again do you want it to go to like the anime page where it talks about the history of blue eyes and stuff or do you want it to land on the card page when you just type blue eyes by dragon into the search bar what do you want the default ones to be on wikia the anime was the biggest priority on yugipedia the card game has a bigger priority mm -hmm. so like is there like a, a number of hours like a week that you would like kind of spend to just working on just just yugipedia um not a whole lot. It's usually just as it comes up, as far as PD is concerned. So probably like 10 to 15 a week. Okay. So you just kind of like a, a pop in delegate and just to kind of answer any calls that like that may come up that it, that requires like your kind of uh, like admission because of your status. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then let's move over to your organization then, because you said that's the one that you focus more on. So give us, give me an overview of your organization. <laughs> I, it's, I don't even know where you want me to begin. There's so much. It's, it's been the last seven years of my life. And from 2016 until present, it's been my, well, not sole source of income because of Wikipedia now, but basically my full-time day job, so to speak. Uh, mm -hmm. I do dedicate no less than 12 hours a day to it and have every single day since 2014. Oof. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. Uh, even like when I take trips to like Florida or Los Angeles and stuff, I've always got a laptop and a phone with me and I am on it constantly, just always working on things, always talking to people. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of it is just sitting in the Yugi Organization Discord server. It's not very intensive mm -hmm. work, but it is constantly interacting with the community and making sure that things are up to date and that the site's working and that the ads aren't redirecting people and that each different like demographic and region is accounted for, that the pages are loading correctly in Kuwait. That was an interesting day to use like a specific example. <laughs> the site just wasn't loading in Kuwait for some reason. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just a constant amount of work of just making sure that like the site's working, that the articles are going out correctly, that there's nothing wrong with the site, that the plugins are up to date, coming up with new ideas and stuff. Uh, I run like a little classroom on the Discord server where I teach Yu-Gi-Oh to players who want to learn how to get better, whether it's just starting out or raising their level to like the YCS point where they can play in top events. Mm -hmm. And um, we have like a new deck list submission tool coming out that I've been working on for the last couple of weeks where you can actually enter oh. your deck and it'll go into a little database. And then we've got a bot finished that will scrape all of it and publish them all and keep track of like how many decks are running effect Veiler and how often and stuff like that. 
Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's kind of similar to because I believe your organization also did or you oh, sorry, you competed or something like that. One of the two. I think you did your own little app where you can like do your own deck building uh, on your, like, your phone and then you can kind of like do like test draw hands and kind of like uh, so manually kind of play. That's it out. actually a common misconception, but that's got nothing to do with me or us at all. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Yugipedia, the Android app, I think it is. Maybe it's an iPhone app. Uh, the deck building yeah. app is made by someone who I have almost no affiliation with whatsoever. Uh, he just happened to okay. use the name. Um, we have discussed mm-hmm. over email multiple times back and forth that like, yeah, I don't mind if you keep using the name for your app and he doesn't care that I use the name for my website and we just continue our lives as normal. But I have absolutely nothing to do with that app. Okay, because you know, you would think so because they share the same name. So I'm glad you got that cleared up because I always thought that that was affiliated with you somehow even though i knew that you never ever mentioned it ever but i i'm glad you told me that because i thought it was involved with you so now we know and like i I barely use that app too i think i downloaded it once but then i think i toggled with it once and then just stopped using it ever since then and then never used it a lot of my friends use it they i'll be on like discord and they'll just post a message hey check out this deck list i built on the yugipedia deck builder app and i'm just like oh yeah that's the thing that exists Mm -hmm. I personally use either Dueling Book or the Yu-Gi-Oh card database to build a deck list when I want to share it. Yeah, and then now they have Neuron too, which is also another easy way to to get that done too. And I've done a couple deck lists on there myself, and I love that app. I've I I've know. used it, but I haven't built a deck on it yet. I like just taking pictures of cards no. and seeing what I can get away with. I'll like Google a card, like Judge Man, and pixelate it and see if it can figure it out and stuff. Yeah, that's fair. And I've, I've done that once before because I took like two infinite impermanences and I scanned them both. But one infinite impermanence was like glared in the light. So the phone couldn't recognize it. And it, I think it said it was just a weird random trap. I think it was like Crackdown, they called it, <laughs> and called the impermanence like the actually impermanence. Or it said Cyber Dragon Infinity, something like that. It was just kind of funny to, you know, just to screw up with the phone to see if uh, how, how well the app was going to be accurate. Yeah, I, I like that I can google like a deck list or like see a deck list in a youtube video or something and the app can figure out what card it is from like the picture on the computer yeah it's, it's a really handy tool nowadays and i was really anticipating like neuron's release for it so i, I hope that the the deck list submission will also kind of provide like a like a really good tool for for everybody who wants to use it and i see it's already up on the on the website so uh, has it seen any success so far or is this is it like too new to tell uh, do you mean my deck list submission tool Yes, uh, the one that's on uh, the, the Yu-Gi-Oh! So only like five people have used it so far. I haven't actually made a post saying that it's live. I'm just kind of seeing how many people can find it on their own without being told it's there. Oh, really? Uh, it's just like a soft experiment. But in the coming weeks, I will make a big post saying like what it is and how to use it. And we'll go from there. And uh, uh, how long ago did you put it up? Uh, 10, 11 days ago. Oh, so okay. So it's still relatively very yes. new. It's not like like a couple months old. It's actually fresh, new, off, off like, kind of like off the press kind of thing. Okay, got it. And uh, where where did this idea come up? I just, uh, I guess you could call it like shower thoughts. I just threw out my <laughs> like I'm always always working and just thinking like what can I do to make the site better. Uh, we actually today we were talking about how the site is seven years old. A lot of us that were in our early 20s, mid-20s when we started are hitting our 30s. Half the staff doesn't Mm -hmm. even play Yu-Gi-Oh! anymore, and they still update Yu-Gi-Oh! organization every day. 
and yep. it might just be time to like bring in like a new brass. We've got a few people in mind who are pretty active in our Discord server to bring them in as like new writers and new posters and just kind of breathe in a new generation and retire the OG crowd. Yeah, because that's what we're, we're start, starting to see now. Because I've talked to like so many like players of like the old guard, and now they told me that you know like we're we're a little bit too older now. Like we're we've got like other commitments that we have to do. Like we have like a wife, I have kids, yeah. and whatnot. So it, it kind of gets difficult, right? And, like myself, I'm like I'm 33 years old. I'm kind of getting up there. I've got uh, I've got like a career now. I've got my girlfriend. I've got my other hobbies. So like I still love Yu-Gi-Oh. I still play it on a on a consistent basis but it's that definitely couldn't spend as much time as i could now as i could before and that's why like you know the we're kind of starting to see this new new guard come in now which is kind of important but it also brings like a fresh perspective on things yeah. too. it's like uh one of our guys d summon uh he's got a wife and two kids now and he's also running his own sister site called beyond the duel so mm-hmm. i just so what else? Oh, sorry, I, I just, I can't imagine like trying to do everything I'm doing right now with two kids, like just the amount of time yeah. that would take. Yeah. And I don't have any kids yet. So I can only imagine if, and when I finally have kids, like how much more of my time is going to be uh, free for this game. I, I kind of hope I still have some time. I know friends that like have full families, but still can make time to play the game. So I'm hoping I can at least stretch some kind of compromise in between so I can still play this game. <laughs> <laughs> So tell me, what else could I find on uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! Organization? Uh, besides rulings, deck lists, new card information, and forbidden lists and stuff, uh, we do try to have like just strategy articles, things that you can like use as resources to learn the game. Uh, one of our guys, Quincy, likes to post like how to play like Drytron, the new Drytron deck coming out, or archetypes in sets that don't get as much attention like the Marincess deck or um, the Charmers like that new deck that like hardly anyone even looked at so we, we do it, it did start off as an attempt to just fill the void left by metagame.com because the void was being filled by a split between ARG and oh my gosh what a shriek like this just terrible website out of Germany and yep. I just didn't like where things were. So I, I mean, I had the idea how to fix it. I knew how, just I didn't have the means to do so. And then through my years in Dueling Network, I made an awful lot of connections and put together a team that had the means to do so and finally did when I was living in Australia. Mm-hmm. And now it's started to flourish. And now it's that and Yugipedia have become like two sites that like I consistently use a lot. And, you're also one of the sites that uh, also tries to involve some like the OCG metagame as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah so, it's t- yeah. so tell me more about what you do with like the OCG uh, regarding that. So the OCG is obviously a few months ahead of us and therefore it does have some, but not universal value for our game. Um, you, you do have to know how to split the difference between the two. For example, the OCG has max C legal, but we do try to catalog as many deck lists as we can find that we can vet and prove are real. And then when we know that they are, like when we trust the information, we publish them, we categorize them and give people the information like, hey, three months from now, this is the type of thing you can expect the metagame to look like. You can see like virtual world being used in Japan before it gets used here and stuff. There's also, um, the products, anime figurines and stuff, or even just 
like casual life in Japan for Yu-Gi-Oh, which is way bigger. It, it's mm-hmm. absolutely crazy how big Yu-Gi-Oh is in Japan. They have like mm-hmm. full-on Yu-Gi-Oh cafes there, like a Starbucks, but the staff dress up as Yu-Gi-Oh characters and oh, all really? The, I, I did yeah, not all know the that. meals are like blue eyes, white bagel, and stuff. <laughs> like, <it's... laughs> have you ever been? No, Just I've actually never been to Japan. It's on the list, but uh, travel is very difficult. And the few times I get to, I usually prioritize going to a YCS or Nationals or something. Yeah, and I, I'm pretty sure that Japan is like pretty much on maybe like 90% of people's lists, if not more, because it's definitely on my list for sure. It's definitely a wonderful place, and I, I can't <laughs> wait to go there if and when I ever get the chance to do so. Who who knows when that's going to be? But of course, I would love to go to Japan myself. Yeah, we uh we do actively catalog like the keychains, even the dinner menus from said restaurants and stuff. Like everything we can <laughs> find, we do post on the website. I think the only like Yu-Gi-Oh related uh, object <laughs> I, I can think of that we didn't put on Yu-Gi-Oh organization was those speed duel demo decks that I revealed like last week, and I still put those on Yu-Gi-Pedia because that does archive literally everything. Yeah, that's true. and so what would uh, what merit would there be for somebody who's in the TCG to kind of look over at the the OCG stuff that you guys would post on uh, Yu Gi Oh organization? Uh, depends on their goals, I suppose. But obviously, mm-hmm. there's a lot you can do in regards to saving money. Um, you you want to build like the armed dragon deck after Blazing Vortex? It sure would have helped to get your like armed dragon level tens three weeks ago for half the price mm-hmm. they are now um mm-hmm. you t- you technically could use it to make a lot of money but i prefer to look at it as a way of saving yourself money before the secondary market bubbles out of control and you can't get the cards that you need mm-hmm. uh, like the zodiac monsters for example when they revealed divine arsenal aa zeus sky thunder or whatever um mm-hmm. yeah just just stuff like that like get, knowing the cards early will help you save your wallet tremendously so in other words can it also be used as like a a good research tool would you say yeah absolutely you can learn like what to expect from certain matchups um the virtual world deck using true king of all calamities you can be aware of that before actually having to face that deck even once in person Mm -hmm. and that was a great example of that because um, I, I know that it's like I forget what the event was that happened offhand. I, was like, I think it was like a luxury gaming tournament, the championship that happened, and Virtual Worlds won it, and that blew me out of the water because I'm like, I don't know what this deck does. Like, I can't believe I didn't even know this deck was even competitive or anything. Because, admittedly, like I'm very poor in doing OCG research, so I, I so I'm a step behind on everybody who does. So when I saw that deck, I thought, okay, I didn't realize this deck was good. It was actually fantastic, and then you know, finally learned what it did. And that, and as you said, like a great example of researching the OCG is just, just getting ahead on the decks. And then we saw that there were a lot of people were representing that tournament with virtual worlds, which is uh, kind of like the, almost like the odds on favorite to win the event just because of that. And, you know, that kind of stuff can kind of catch people off guard like myself if I don't ever like look into it. So I can definitely understand why you're putting up the OCG stuff because it's, it's a lot more vital than people think. It's kind of like, it's almost like kind of looking to like a crystal ball and kind of seeing the future in a sense, because Japan's ahead of us. Yeah, by exactly. And oh boy. I, I'm, I'm, and I'm very glad I have my virtual world <laughs> check right now. So I don't have to like 
pay. I don't have to pay out of my wallet now to get it. I finally got everything, and I barely had to touch my wallet, if that. So I'm, I'm finally like swiping. Away I was brow. able to pick up the my Hime's, the uh, Virtual World Ultra Rare, for four dollars each, and now they're like twenty five. <laughs> yeah, the Lulus. Yeah, twenty twenty five Canadian for people who are who are. It was also four Canadian though. Twenty five Canadian. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I spent about fifteen US dollars for a playset of every single card with Virtual World in its name. Oh, nice! Jeez, but you finally got the deck now. Uh, all good. I think so. I might be missing like some stupid um, spell or trap. Like, oh, I the, everyone's playing three tactics and I only have two or something like that. I don't know. It's I have over two hundred thousand oh. cards. It's impossible to keep track of what I do and don't have anymore. Okay, that yeah, that that's fair. I was I was gonna say like, are you how heavily invested are you into the game right now? It's definitely a problem. Uh, I had a bookcase that I sold to a guy over in Hamilton, Ontario, for twenty five grand, and that was about fifteen thousand cards I sent him. Uh, oh wow! And I still, like I said, I have hundreds of thousands of cards left. It's uh, honestly incredible, and. I've recently started sorting them, but it's still it's a long way coming. I found my Gaia Charger from Astral Pack just last night, so I did already have one of those, <laughs> which goes in the Virtual World deck, I suppose. Yeah. But I can't, for yeah. the life of me, find a Heretic Seal of Heavenly Spheres if I want to play the Dragon Link deck. And I know I own that card. I probably own three or four, but I can't find it anywhere. Oof. <laughs> Kind of like a blessing and a curse to own so many cards because uh, that there's your curse right there is that you you think you have it but right. where is it? <laughs> so how about you on like the competitive scene if, if, if at all? Because and this is we'll say this before the whole pandemic situation. Happened. So it was certainly a a lot more before the pandemic situation. Wow, uh, the the, the <laughs> pandemic hit everywhere but here. Uh, I, I don't want to say we didn't get it. But relative to most people, it basically may as well not even have happened. In my entire province, we have less than 100 cases even today during this second wave. Uh, we were at zero cases for the entirety of July, August, September, and October. So our mm -hmm. stores were open. Locals were running. Everything was fine for months. Mm -hmm. But uh, people were still very hesitant to show up. Like the locals still only had like five or six people in them. Uh, can you remind can you remind everybody where you're, you're from first of all so i'm in nova know. scotia canada just over on the east coast i'm an entire hour ahead mm -hmm. of new york as far as like time of day is concerned i'm super far mm -hmm. east uh, but yeah um going into the pandemic i had picked up three of every card from secret slayers so i had like ad emancipator mm -hmm. researchers and like the golden lords and I was I was getting ready to buckle down for the upcoming WCQs and stuff, and obviously all of that didn't happen, and all the YCS events got canceled, and it took a lot of the wind out of my sails, so I haven't taken it seriously. But before the pandemic, I was firing on all cylinders. I was I I usually play on Dueling Book under secret accounts, uh, hidden names and stuff, so that people don't know who I am, especially like my students and stuff like that. I just don't don't want to put up or deal with it. Uh, I've been active on either Dueling Book or Dueling Network since 2012, um, pretty much every day. Uh, obviously, locals. Um, regionals are a little tougher. 
uh, I head judge all the regionals in Nova Scotia, so I don't really get to play in them that often. So I have to get my invites from OTS championships at my store. Uh, mm -hmm. And then nationals has this tendency to be in Nashville, Tennessee or Fort Worth, Texas. And it's like a $3,000 plane ticket if I want to go. And that ignores accommodations and food and my deck and everything else. So don't really get to go to too many of those. Uh, I did get to go to Pittsburgh. That was a really good time. Uh, I had mm -hmm. probably the least fortunate event of my entire life in Pittsburgh, if I'm completely honest with you. <laughs> I, I had yeah. the Chaos Emperor, the Dragon of Armageddon, the prize card in my deck. I was playing that Thunder yeah. Dragon Danger Dragon Link deck thing at full power, mm -hmm. everything ready to go. And my round one opponent I sit across from is playing the same deck as me, and he's got three copies of the prize card in his deck. Oh my! Twenty five hundred people in the room, and like six of us have this card, and this guy's got three of them sitting across from me. <laughs> did that turn out to be like the? Did that turn out to be like the difference yeah. maker? Of yeah, the match? It, it was horrendous. Well, that that match in general is a coin flip that I lost as well, but just. Like, he was someone who was way above and beyond prepared, rather than having, like, a buy until, like, round five, like most people using that deck were going to get. And then uh, my round yeah. two opponent was playing some Mystic Mind Turbo. I didn't main an out for it in game one, because I figured I could always just beat those decks in game two and three. And I just didn't see anything in game two or three, so I started 0-2, which was not what you want to see. And then I lost in time to an Orcus player later in the day, so I had a really unfortunate event. Yeah, it's it's really deflating to to start zero and two and then go on for the rest of the day. Even though that you can still somehow like squeak in, but you've got to be like perfect and get all the way through yeah. to you, even get a shot. You can't at, pick like, up anymore the rest of the event if you start out two. Yeah, yeah. It's a fun little fact for you, like for for everyone out here. I've only o two once ever in my you know illustrious like 17 year career playing this game. And I'm talking about like a regional or higher. I did it at uh, the, the WCQ. I think it was in Pittsburgh itself, but that was when it was uh, like, it was Monarchs BA and Cosmo. It was that format. And I lost like the first two, but then I, I, I stormed back and I think I won like my next three or four, but then finally got like eliminated after my third loss. I'm like, okay, well that's, that's my day. But still it was, that was probably the, one of the most horrendous events I've ever played. That's uh, <laughs> that's like nationals. Cause I never go. Oh, two. And I always tell myself, just don't go 0-2. Don't go 0-2 drop. Like, I get so many people that say, oh, yeah, I went 0-2 drop. I'm like, and I always have that pride. I'm like, I never have gone 0-2. I'm so happy. And then when that day hit, I'm like, well, there goes that. I'm <laughs> I've, had, <laughs> I've had my share of unfortunate events. I mean, I've been playing the game for two decades. I've got every kind of event you can imagine. But, like, I, I've had mm -hmm. events where I've just been hard cheated twice. And uh, uh, I didn't mm -hmm. top. Like, I was X2, but I didn't top. And... My two losses were both to just flagrant cheats. I had one guy, uh, he asked me what my card did. I can't remember which one it was. I activated some spell, and he was like, can I read that? So he picked up my card and looked at it, and then he put it back down in a different zone and flipped up his infinite impermanence across from the card after he put it back down. Oh, wow. <laughs> and like... Uh, I had another guy who he let me go to end of battle phase and activate evenly matched. And then he chained eradicator epidemic virus to it and called trap. And I was like, okay, well, evenly still resolves, whatever. And he called a judge and he was like, no, no, I'm trying to activate my eradicator at the start of battle phase. And just like that, that was in the same event. Like just 
not oh. not great times for anyone involved. That was uh, YCS Niagara, the most recent one of those. That's those two happened to me there. Uh, oh, okay, yep, yep. Just like I, I played in a YCS Toronto in like 2015 with a Yang Zing deck, and I started off 5 0 and 10 0 in duels. Like I was, I had a perfect event going, beating a crow, shadow, shadow, and a crow's yep. burning abyss. But the deck has <laughs> absolutely no answer whatsoever to ritual beasts, don't have one. <laughs> and yeah, who cares? That There's deck. only going to be like eight or nine people playing ritual beasts, it's not even a good deck. And of course, my round six and seven opponents are back-to-back -back ritual beast players that just slaughter me, and I don't. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, don't top. And uh, probably the worst event for me I've ever had was YCS London, twenty eighteen or maybe twenty nineteen. Um, one of the two of them, mm -hmm. uh, the one with the Danger Dark World FTK that like Jeff Jones was using at uh, used it at Niagara, and then the London <laughs> was like the subsequent month. I went to London with the knowledge that Summon Sorceress was not legal there, and therefore Jeff Jones's FTK doesn't mm -hmm. work, so I did not build to play against it. And then I found out that 17 mm -hmm. people, all of which you know the name of, from Raphael and Evan to Jesse Cotton and so on, had all come together and found a way to do the FTK without Summon Sorceress, and they were all playing it. And I had oh, absolutely no. nothing in my main side or extra to deal with it, and I found that out at about round four, and I dropped with a 4-0 record. Because I didn't, it was Comic Con. YCS London is MCM Comic Con. It's, yeah, it's literally like being oh, at San Diego Comic Con, but in London. It's the second biggest one in the world. So, why am I going to sit mm -hmm. here so that I can get into Top Cut and get FTK'd when I can go enjoy friggin' Comic Con? So, I draw, I just dropped with a 4 0 record, which is the worst thing I've ever done. Oh, I'll have to know I did that for the rest of my life, but it was. Of the 17 of them that had the deck, all 16, or sorry, not all, all 16, 16 of 17 of them ended up in the top 32. And the 17th one was Jesse Cotton, who finished 33rd. No. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. I remember yeah. that event. Oh, my God. I, even if I was 4 0, like I knew it was anything could be looming. I, I still go because 4 0s four are like, could be few far in between for me, even though I've gone 4 0 like many times at many like high premier events. It's just, uh, I just can't do it. I just can't do it because that's what I traveled <laughs> for the event for. But I mean, I mean, was there something that you did at that Comic Con that that made that worth it? I, I don't regret, regret the day. I had a really wonderful time with my best friend. I got to hang out with a whole bunch of like European Yu-Gi-Oh players, and I mean, I was at Comic Con for free. It was awesome. So I have no regrets as a human being for dropping. As a player, I regret not gaining the experience of playing six more rounds in Europe against high-level competition. I probably cost myself a lot of <laughs> personal growth and gain as a player there, but I traded it for non-Yu-Gi-Oh benefits, so... So, so what, what did you do well, the, I, the Nintendo like... booth was really awesome. We got to play, like, a couple upcoming Nintendo games early for the Switch. Honestly, I don't remember which ones. I think Smash Bros. was one of them. We got to play a bunch of that. No, oh, okay. Well, that that that's understandable because uh, that's you know very popular. Not, I'll play it, but it's not like. My, and it's, it's not, not like I didn't still get to like go back to the YCS and enter some side events. Uh, we got to play like those giant duels with the cards that are like the size of me. I won one of those. Um, I, I got a shining victory pack games. and pulled a ghost reaper, which was kind of cool. So it's like a first ed European ghost reaper. Mm -hmm. 
um, which yep. was honestly my answer to the stupid FTK in the first place. I was just going to Ghost Reaper Fireball Dragon and be done with it, but I didn't play them that day. So weird. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, and again, I, like, I got to spend, like, I have friends who live in England, and I only ever get to see them when I go over there. So it's really nice to get to spend time with them. Like Aaron Ray from Complexity Card Gaming, I got to spend, like, hours with him, and I never get to see that guy, so that was fun. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it was just, like, that That event was just, like, sour in general. There was a bunch of people who had to line up at, like, 6 a.m. to get into the building. Uh, it, they only, oh, they give out free Comic-Con passes to anyone who plays at least two rounds, so a whole bunch of people who don't even play Yu-Gi-Oh! enter the tournament. They've got, like, hundreds of, like, kids who were playing just the most recent starter deck, so they had a legal deck list to enter with, and just... It's really weird. The first two rounds may as well be buys, and then after round two, when everyone gets their bracelets, like half the room drops. Like the event is really dumb. Yeah. And the the mindset of the live stream is the first round feature match is always last year's winner. That's how they go about it. So they feature oh, Jesse Cotton right. playing that stupid FTK deck against this like thirteen year old kid with a starter deck. That was the round one feature yeah, match. Yeah, I have. Oh, I, I know. And I, I was wondering when I saw that match happen, I'm like, uh, like, I didn't tune into the match right away. I kept seeing it online. And then when I heard it, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, did they actually do some research into this before they put this aside? Because I know that typically, like, they would pull the deck list aside for whoever the matchup is going to be. And you think you would look at it and be like, no, this no, this kid's gonna get slaughtered if uh, if he goes up against Jesse because he's running practically a starter deck on this. I think he was running UFO Turtle. I, think, <laughs> I can't in that remember deck, if I as one of those cards. Not to say not to say it's a bad card. It was a great card back in the day. Not not so much now, but I was like, oh my god! I'm like this. This is gonna be like one of the biggest steamrolls ever. And I, I'm like, I wonder if this kid knows exactly what he's going to get to get into with this match, considering who he's going up against. And I. I I'm willing to gamble that he doesn't, but after that match, I'm like, oh my gosh, why do they put that match up to begin with? Like, maybe he could have saved it for like another I round or two or something. Yeah. With I would have just not featured mind. Jesse until round three. If you even stream the first two rounds at all, or like specifically look for two known players playing in round one or something. Yeah, exactly that. Because I, I actually had no idea that it was a bunch of people could just, you know, get a free pass if they played the tournament. Yeah, so I didn't even know that. So that would explain. Yeah, it's an eighty dollar a day convention that you can get a free weekend pass to for a twenty dollar YCS entry. So, so yeah, pick your pick your poison. <laughs> in other words, yeah, it, it, so, uh, maybe not pick your poison, but like you know, it, it, yeah. the choice is pretty obvious. I would easily play two rounds of you <laughs> like drop out and go to the, the event caps. It, it, they can only have so many people, and unless you like pre or pre registered, then. Oh, I think mm-hmm. like less than a hundred people got to register day of for the event because of how many people pre-register and get those passes. And these people are lined up since like mm-hmm. six in the morning and they're not allowed in the building. They have to line up outside so that they couldn't even play in the mm-hmm. YCS. Like, that was just a really, oh, really bad. Well, I'm... Well, I'm glad you solved that mystery for me because I don't know how the heck that match came about because I, I understood that you know they, they would take the champ and put it on. I mean, that would make sense, but when you look at the opponents, like you you really don't want to kind of feature that. Like They don't really do that for for sports even. They don't put like the primetime champion and then put it up against some uh, 
some like scrub team or anything like that. They want to put up against like, a, a, a good opponent, at least if they're going to showcase them off the bat, they might like flex the, the game to something else. But just seeing that, I'm like, oh my, like this, this poor kid has no idea. But he probably, but I'm going to guess again that that kid maybe didn't care that much because he just did his two rounds and then just, you know. It's why Jesse came in 33rd. His first two round opponents were both just dropouts. He played like random kids they yeah. make they, like it's worse than a buy because yeah. they just drop after two rounds yeah <laughs> yeah because they just they would just suck your tiebreakers out at that point in time if they keep losing or even if they just lose the first two rounds and then drop that that yeah he had to be televised sense. as the guy who ftk'd a child and then got 33rd in a top 32 cutoff so i'm sure he had a much worse weekend than i did oh, <laughs> I mean, just, oh, just it's kind of like just waving you in the face and kind of taunting you about that 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 happened. But uh, I mean, I'm sure we there are many of us who have had like those kind of bad beats before. I mean, I've had I've had two ninth place finishes before at regionals, and it's and one of them uh, I got knocked out in eighth place. Happened to be my teammate <laughs> Ralph, who you know, and I was like, oh, I was so happy for him. And then the judge, who the head judge at the time, who like knows me very well. And, you know, he also likes to, like, poke fun at me at a personal level, as does many people do. You know, it said, and then I placed David Bowie. I'm like, and then the whole room just, like, erupted (laughs) and just laughed at me. And I'm face-palming at myself. I've never never been on the, like, sliver slot, like, 9th, 33rd, 17th. That's that's never happened to me. I've always always either been, like, first or sometimes second because there's not enough rounds. Like, we're both 10 and 0, but his tiebreakers are just better. Or, like, yep. if there's, like, 16 people, sometimes I'll squeak in somewhere, like, 12th or 13th. Or I don't even make, like, top 50. Those yep. are the only three results I ever get. Yeah, but never ask, like, the bare, like, I've, the I've last I've never been, like, it, if we just look at, like, top 16 as, like, a generic example, I've never come between 16th and yep. 21st in my life. It's always okay, complete it. clean, so I, safely in, or not even close. Like, I'll finish, like, X4 that day. Yeah. Oh, I, I couldn't even... Jeez, I've had it several times where that happened, and uh, I haven't talked to... I haven't talked to YCS until... I think it was, like, nine years competitively playing. So 2015 was my first YCS top, and... But before that, I think in 2012, I played in Philly, and I went X2. Like, the whole event, I went X2, but I came, the top cut was 32, and I was 34. So when I won my last match, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm finally going to top my first YCS, probably, and looked at it, I'm like, ah, no, crap. So I've, I've had it happen before. It's a pain and a half to have, see your name be called, like, the ninth, like, the ninth or 33rd or whatever that, as you said, the sliver spot goes. And it, it's heartbreaking. It is painful. So I can only imagine how, like, Jesse felt, but maybe not because, you know, he's – He's been there before uh, like a million times. Except for the event in Niagara where I got the hard cheats, the guy cheating with the Eradicator and with the Infinite Impermanence. I haven't actually lost a match at a regional or YCS event since 2015 outside of end of match procedures. (laughs) I've I've always lost like game three to time to, oh, I'm just going to summon Sky Striker Kaina. And it's like, okay, cool. I lost round three of some event to Aaron Furman. He was playing Thunder Dragons. Uh, they called time in the round, and yep. he's got a UDS belt, so we were over in the VIP area, and we didn't start for like five minutes after everybody else. 
So when they called time in the round, they yep. were basically just telling us, you guys have five minutes left in your round when they did that. And he just managed to mm -hmm. slow everything down a little bit. And then side deck for game three with like two minutes left on the clock and he's going first and he's like, I'm just going to Gustav Maxi, man. Like we may as well not even play game three. <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, this is a great oh, feeling because no, I absolutely good. can win this matchup. You're playing Thunder Dragons, but it is what it is. Like that, that's... And it's been like that since like the time rule changes in a big way. Like UDS in Vegas, I lost in time three different times to like trick stars and stuff. Like it just it keeps happening. So I need to figure out a way to close my matches out quicker is my blind spot as a player right now. Mm -hmm. What is your opinion of like the current time rule uh, that we with we the have? knowledge that Pokemon's end of match procedure is pencils down? Uh, they don't even get to finish like the attack mm -hmm. they just declared. Uh, I, I know it could certainly be worse. Yeah. Um, I do heavily prefer the old way, but I also understand that where judges are now paid hourly, events do need to get over on time. They can't have these like day one ending at 1 a.m. crap anymore. So, I mean, mm -hmm. if it was just a complete vacuum and the only thing was like end of match procedures, I would prefer the old way. But I would definitely prefer the judges are getting paid than the old end of match procedures. Like the way things are currently now as a whole, I prefer because more good is being done than bad. Mm -hmm. And that was my personal opinion on the matter on it was why they decided to shorten the time because uh, because like the change of judges being paid from like product to money. So like Konami thought of it as a way to like, okay, this is how we're going to save money is just, you know, take away like the time of the, the length of a tournament by you know killing time now i've like obviously i don't have like any actual evidence to that but it's a thought but it's a thought that has a, a ton of merit back behind it that, and of course like most like any other people like i dislike the rule i think they can make like a, a small change to it i think like maybe a lot for maybe to the end of turn or maybe allow your opponent to have one more turn maybe or something like that or like each have a turn but uh but again that probably fall back on like the same problem again because like i've seen I, i've seen a lot of matches that, that could even take like another half an hour even on like the end of, well, yeah, uh, like, end of game procedure i don't that's know how, the thing is but turns are <laughs> everyone talks about like you can only last like two turns i missed today's a goat format where we both used to get like 12 turns each and it's like People used to take 45 minutes to finish a match in GOAT format, and they still take 45 minutes to finish a match now. The only thing missing is the number of draw phases, not the number of cards played, and not the number of actions each player gets to make. It's, uh, it's just that your singular turn contains half of the duel now. I've, I've seen people, it takes like 7 to 11 minutes just to play out the Dragon Link combo, no matter how good you are at the game and how fast you play your cards. So, with 40 minutes... If we do play all three games, we get 13 minutes apiece. And if your turn takes seven minutes, that's your entire half of the duel is the one turn. So I can definitely understand, like, finish the one turn, because, like, especially like, cards like that grass looks greener. It can make your turn take, like, 15 minutes to resolve. If you end your turn and give the other guy 15 minutes, too, to do the same thing back to you, like, that's not speeding things up, really. So. Yeah. And then that's now become like a new skill in itself in the game is is time management. I find that that is a, a much more critical skill nowadays than it used to be back then when the turn limit was used to be like two turns each at that point in time or like the I'm sorry the the five turns thing. 
And, you know, there'll be many times where if I see the clock uh, at about really like five minutes or something like that, and I won game one, and I'm like, all right, I'm probably going to lose this game. I'll let my opponent kind of play it out until about maybe like the three-minute mark scoop and then take my time and then like tell them, okay, you're going to go first or whatnot, and then maybe get a quick turn in afterwards so I get my the first battle phase and it won't take me that long to get it. You know, it's like that kind of thing, like, is starting to be like a, a real, real skill that a lot of players like maybe not have recognized that they've had to do at since the, the new world championships. They have these little green and red cards. When you use a search effect, they flip the card over and turn it red. And it means that the, they're not allowed to draw until shuffling the deck and they get to play out their whole turn without shuffling yeah. and then shuffle their deck and flip the card over when they're done. Mm-hmm. So if they're not sitting there shuffling and shuffling and searching and searching and taking a lot of time. It's that events should move yeah. to like everyone doing that like they should just give those cards out with pre-registration or something so that people can actually keep track of mm-hmm. whether or not they're shuffling their deck and stuff so it would just speed everybody up but as i mentioned like this is a blind spot for me i go into time a lot what i what i need to personally work on and so yeah. do a lot of other people obviously is explaining your cards to other people like when they say what does that do and you tell them and they still pick it up and read it anyway and like just eat the clock. So it, you got to figure out ways to get through your duels mm-hmm. quicker, especially if you're going to play a new deck like Virtual World where nobody knows what the cards do. Yep. And th- th- that's what I kind of do when I play against somebody. Like when I, when I play like a first card, for, let's, let's take Virtual Worlds, for example. And I like play the first card and they're like, what does that do? And then after I do, I'm like, I'm like, do you want me to explain like how this whole entire deck works as we go along? And they'll say like, yes or no. And then that's why like, I'll do it. And then I'll start explaining the cards as we go along. So that way, like we'll save some time because I'd rather like play a very good game and not have to be like screwed over by time or anything. Like that. I hate going into end of, end of match procedure. I have a much more satisfying victory, like actually like beating someone like down, like legit to 8,000 life points or there's that's like a friend of mine, Johnny Lee um he likes to play all of his cards in french and it just baffles me and like we've had discussions about why and he has the time it takes him to like find the translation and provide it to the opponent and stuff just eats so much of the clock and he feels that it's Mm -hmm. still worth giving up the clock because people ask you questions about the card like does that target and he likes the information that that's giving him and i i I would never do that like that's not worth the timer (laughs) I, 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 that I can understand, but I, I get his side too because he, he kind of wants to see if people understand the deck or not. And if they don't, that means he, you might be able to get away with a little bit more. Like maybe you don't have to make like the perfect move, or you can maybe just make like a small misplay accidentally and then you can still recover well. You know, so, something along that line because that's a good way of finding out does the person know the card or not? do they know the deck or not and then it's it's much different having to play an opponent who doesn't know the deck yeah. than to someone who does because like you have moves that you would expect somebody to do like uh in a in someone who like knows the deck as opposed to somebody who doesn't know how to play play against the deck and you know they could do any like any absolutely anything and you won't be ready for it like it might play to your advantage but you know sometimes it yeah. might not so i mean you just everything's a resource and you just have to know how to weaponize each one. And he's weaponizing information at the expense of clock. So. Mm-hmm. Geez. Like I, n- I never even thought of that either. So that's pretty, 
that that is pretty tricky. I mean, one little thing that I do like to do, like that's kind of similar to that situation, is that I like to synchronize the rarities yeah. of all my cards. Like I like to have like if it's a West, I don't care if I have like two, like two, if they're all commons or they're all ultras, whatever. So long as they're all synchronized, because I learned this trick like a long time ago, and and then I actually got burned for it once too, because I think I had like two copies of a like three copies of a card. I don't know. There are different rarities. And I showed them one rarity, and then I, I played a card, I, but I played the different rarity. And the opponent was smart enough to catch it. It's like, oh, yeah. okay, so you've got the other one in your hand. I'm like, how do you, like, how do you know? It's like, because it's a different rarity. But yeah, I a friend like, of mine oh my God, used right. Atlantean Dragoons to oh search for a Deep Sea Diva and the normal summoned uh, first edition one. So I knew he still had that unlimited one he searched for. That does happen. Yep. Like, uh, one of our regionals yeah. in Moncton, New Brunswick, uh, a guy named Todd Tolbart, beat a guy named brad mclean because brad likes to play his deck in max rarity and his ghost rare honest reflected the light yep. onto his face so todd didn't sling into the honest. yes I... yeah uh, yeah and i remember exact a story like that happened at uh ycs toronto it was it was a future match between uh audrey tan and jason tan those two are not related, by the way, but they're from the same group of friends. And Audrey, like, noticed, like, a shine from the, the Ghost Rune Honest and, you know, opted, okay, I'm not going to attack because I, you probably got an Honest in there. Or she attacked with, like, the right monster to kind of bait out the Honest instead. And that's why, and that's kind of the reason why like, so many people were opting to want to play the, the Secret Rune Honests, which I think, ironically, were more <laughs> difficult to get than the Ghost Rune Honests at that point because they're more sought out because they didn't yeah, show that reflection i i try to have my rarities not match i'm the exact opposite of you uh so oh, please. Oh, it's the year 2020 <laughs> and people have deck lists at their fingertips yeah. if i sit down across from you and i normal summon ultra geist marionetter you know damn well that there's three copies of multifaker mm -hmm. in my deck i don't have to make sure that they all match to conceal that information from you i just have to not play like an idiot if I add the yeah. ultra rare one to my hand, I have to make sure the ultra rare one's the one I summon. That's all it comes down to. But mm -hmm. uh, I've tried to like find interesting yeah. ways to like leverage that mentality. And the YCS that you and I met at, uh, YCS Toronto 2012, was the first time I actually got to do that uh, with my father. That was the event just after Mirror yeah. Force went to two. And I gave him a super rare mm -hmm. copy of Mirror Force and an ultra rare copy of Mirror Force for his deck. And side decks the super rare one so that after game one if you mirror force your opponent you side out the ultra and in the super so that when they see the super rare mirror force it tells them you have a second one handy and they start playing around it the entire game and it's never going to be there ah see i know i had never thought of that before that's actually very tricky it, it kind of reminds me of the whole like patrick hogan play where he like sided and sided out of the gin in his neck cross <laughs> but then sided in another so, gin to you know to kind of offset that to kind of like play kind of to not toy with the i opponent, did have like, a, a, a lot of us had the idea involved. of why don't we just side a gin and like you side out the gin by putting it face down on the table and siding in a card I don't actually know that Patrick Hoban ever actually yeah. did it, though. I'm pretty sure, like, he just kind of fell on the sword for that one because everyone was being so, like, angry. But I, I think he actually didn't do it. I think <laughs> it was one of the Leverett kids who was the one who actually did that. Oh, okay, yeah, because I know that the, he had, like, the same deck list as them. But, yeah, I, I like, I, I 
would like to think that he did it. I'm not 100% sure myself, but yeah. that's just what like the peanut gallery says. But <laughs> I, but that was that was a thing that happened. I've also supposed, uh, allegedly at anyway. an event an in 2016, I think. I was playing Burn. Uh, one of my upcoming TCG player articles is going to talk about that. Mm-hmm. But I had two deck boxes in my backpack. Mm-hmm. One of them contained the Burn deck in the absolute lowest rarity. Whole deck cost $20. And the yep. other deck had the exact same yep. burn deck and highest rarity, ulti dualities, like everything. Like that was like a thousand, thousand dollars. When you write your deck list down, you never say what set yep. or rarity the cards are. So as long as I took either deck box out of my bag and sat down and displayed that, presented that deck to my opponent, I was not doing anything illegal. Yeah. And if I sat down across from mm-hmm. someone who was like, uh, I, I don't know. Let's say he's using a spell ground to be as politically correct about my description of this type of opponent as possible. I would use the all common one. <laughs> that way he would go on tilt and get really angry that he was losing to a deck of all commons. Like a thousand dollar deck was getting beaten by a twenty dollar bill. Mm-hmm. And it would it would frustrate him yeah. and he would get mad at himself. And that type of player makes more misplays when they blame themselves than they do when they're mad at you. On the contrary, when I go against someone who's a bit newer, we'll talk like maybe like ultra pro sleeves and a sneak peek play mat type of player, I will use the highest rarity one because those are the players who get mad at the uphill battle. They're, they're the ones, oh, you're just some meta playing scrub come at me with a real deck type thing. They tell they tilt when they're mad at yeah. you instead oh, of being mad at themselves. So I wanted to have like, yeah, I have a thousand dollars and I chose to play burn anyway instead of Necroz or something. I could have afforded Necroz and I chose to burn you anyway. It's the message yeah. that I try to convey by doing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a really like, clever psychological play at hand because that's one thing, first of all, that I love about like playing in person is that you have the like the psychology like can come into play like and I can make so many better reads actually like playing against a person than I would being able to play like online like on booing book or something like that. So the, but these are like really cool things that I, I never even like thought of to do. So I'm kind of glad you're kind of bringing this out there because these are really clever just, moves that you're kind of bringing out. You, you start to understand the archetypes of players and certain tricks that like work on them. Like um, again, that same type of player. Mm-hmm. From the most recent example, just call out his face downs. Every time he sets a back row, just be like, oh, that's bottomless chapel. Because mm-hmm. if you're right, he'll freak out mm-hmm. and go on tilt. And if you're wrong, he'll just underestimate you and assume yeah. that, like, when you go to like MST is card, that, oh, he thought this was bottomless, so he's just stupid. <laughs> and just like, you, mm-hmm. you can turn matches you have absolutely no business winning into wins because you can mess with your opponent you can play them instead of you can play against the person instead of their deck yeah that that definitely happens too like i'm i've had an example where i've had an opponent search uh like raiko with charge of the light brigade and then i tracked that raiko in their hand like i looked at him in their hand and they didn't set that monster they set something else i'm like okay that's a that okay. It's not the Raiko. It's not a right. It's something. So I thought I was like maybe maybe it was like Necro. I thought I was like maybe okay Necro Gardener or something like that. It wasn't Raiko. And so I like I swung into it full well thinking it's not a Raiko. Sure enough, it was, and it popped my monster. I'm like oh my god, and like I tracked his hand too. And then sure enough, the next card he set, 
was another Ryko. I'm like, okay, there's that Ryko that screwed up my that was supposed to like quote unquote like mess up my first play, but now it screws up my like my actual play. And I'm like, oh, and like I fell into it, and it it just absolutely crushed me. And the and I know it's little things like that. It's those little like little psychology. Back in that that format, I was playing that quick draw dandy warrior deck that Jeff won Edison with. And I played the Charge of the Light Brigade with the three yep. Rikos. And turn one of the finals of a Moncton Regional, I played Charge of the Light Brigade and milled three Rikos. All for that effect. Oh my gosh. Oh my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> Inversely, my best friend has milled oh. uh, three Wolf with Charge of the Light Brigade to lose. The, to, but he did it, but he lost the game because of it. Because... Uh, all three of those wolves prevented him, clogged his monster game, oh, so no. summon Judgment Dragon to clear the board and win. So yeah, he's had that happen. And then inversely, he's had triple wolf summon on him, and, and, and he lost. I think he went against Dale Belito when that triple mill happened. I'm going to have to confirm that, but I'm pretty sure it was against Dale when he did that. Again, I I'm going to have both uh, those guys now after I'm done talking. Similar, like but, on the opposite thing. I've done a lot of explaining about like, this is the worst thing that's happened to me. This is this bad thing at this event and stuff. My Millennium Puzzle Trophy tournament yeah. from 2004, <laughs> like going way back. I'm 13 years old yeah. here. Uh, I'm going against Jonathan Breyer. Um, yeah. Winner of the tournament gets like every province and state got these like Millennium Puzzle trophies, right? And uh, the winner is going to get the trophy. Yep. And he's got that um, dinosaur, the old dinosaur structure deck. It's called like Ultimate, not Ultimate Conductor Tyranno. That's the current one. Uh, Super Conductor Tyranno, something like that. Yeah, the, the one that like, it, it, like, 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 that has a thousand if it kills something in battle. Like, oh, an attack guy. He's big. Oh, no. Oh, that one. It's, yeah, it's, it's some crazy like, old. It was like a starter, the ninth ever starter deck. Yeah. Uh, so he's got that card on the field, and I'm playing E Heroes. And he's got me yeah. basically wiped out. We're talking no hand, and the only thing I have on the field is a Thunder Giant, which discards a card to destroy a monster of 2400 or less, and that thing is certainly not 2400. And so no matter what I draw, I can't just <laughs> discard it and pop this thing. And I have like uh, 1900 life points, maybe 2000 life points left. And with a big bubble of people around us, I say out loud, I need a miracle. And I draw Miracle Fusion. Banish the Spark Man and King of the Swamp out of my graveyard that I used to summon the Thunder Giant for Shining Flare Wingman. And it's at 31. (laughs) So I have to crash the Thunder Giant into the Ultimate Conductor Tyranno, and it puts me at like 1 to 200 life points after the effect and the burn damage. But the 300 attack boost of putting him in the graveyard made mm-hmm. Shining Flare Wingman strong enough to attack over the Conductor Tyranno, and then the effect burned for 3,200 more, and I won the game. Oh, wow. That was a, <laughs> that, well, that's a huge move. <laughs> so just to, just to continue along this sure. line, I'll just go like one little quick story and, be, and then be done with it. Um, I had someone pinned up against the board, and we, this was like a Monarch format. But Dark Worlds were also out. So he had... A, he was at like 1800 something like that I had a treeborn frog so I looked at my hand I'm like I only have like one monster that can take him out but I'm going to do it anyway so I tribute it for the Stalos 
And of course, the Salus is when it's tribute summon, you randomly discard a card each in your stack. opponent's hand and then burn them 100 for the level that is. For, yeah, for each level that it is. Yeah. And at, and of course, the one card he has <laughs> in the top deck is Gold, Wu Lord of Dark World. And it completely wrecks me. It took out my Thestalis. It took out my my set Ring of Destruction. Um, sorry, not Ring of Destruction. My set Mirror Force. And that's it. it like I, and that's it. And then he won the next turn later. I'm like, oh my god! I can't believe he topped at the gold that he can't play. And I play at the Thestalis, and, and he burns me off. And that that was that was like one of the anti top decks that I just hate. Oh, that just killed me. But uh, there's also like one other little trick that I kind of do like implement today but like if my trick is like unfounded it's just maybe placebo at best but i used to never like pimp my cards ever like i don't like i don't care for like rarity so long as it's the synchronized that's what i care for but nowadays uh i try to at least pimp out my my side deck because i i have that thought again unfounded is that if they're hollow it's they're more likely to be drawn because you know some might have like a slight bend, a slight warp. That's just the natural like bend that a card would have. So you know, kind of make it easier to draw. So I would always try to max rarity my side deck so that way, like when I saw the minutes, like okay, I want you want to see these cards because that's what the whole entire pro- point of a side deck is. You want to see these cards like game two and three. So that that's what I did. Like I don't know if it's true. It's just something that I've like thought of. And I don't know if anyone else kind of follows. So it actually like, comes back to um, the so. earlier point I was making that I forgot to finish about why I play all different rarities. I, I told you why I don't stop yeah. myself, but I didn't tell you why I actually do it. Um, it was a theory oh, that um, I, I'm sure you've been to an East Coast city before in your life. Uh, shiny cards have this tendency to dress up as Pringles. And uh, the shinier the card, the worse that gets. <laughs> and around the time where Heavy Storm and Black Luster Soldier were gold rares, whichever gold rare that series that was, 2013, 2012, something like that, uh, my dad was playing three copies of Tuning in his deck. Mm-hmm. And the only gold rares in his deck were BLS and Heavy mm-hmm. Storm. And every time he would play Tuning, he would shuffle his deck, he would give me his deck to shuffle, and I would cut his deck and give it back to him, and then he would mill the one card for Tuning. And he milled either the Heavy Storm or the BLS 25 times in a row. Which and is the card you we just don't deduced want to be that it's because gold them. rares have foils uh, foiling on the borders. So there's just ever so slightly a little bit of curve mm-hmm. from the humidity, and it's causing them to bubble up. So when I cut the deck, that's the point of least resistance. And it's cutting to one of his two gold rares. And mm-hmm. with that in mind, Every card has a different amount of foil on it somewhere. Even two ultra rares. If you got an ultra rare soul and judgment, it's got way more foil on it than an ultra rare mirror force does because there's more of the card that's foil. And the letters are in different shapes and different positions and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So how much humidity your deck is going to reluctantly absorb throughout the lifespan of it, living in your house and in t- their locals and stuff, it's going to have a microscopic amount of bendage to it, 0.02 degrees or something. But the soul and judgment's not going to have as much of a curve mm-hmm. as the mirror force is going to have, even though it's ever so slight. So mm-hmm. the idea being that my mm-hmm. starfoil personal spoofing and my super air personal spoofing are going to have different amounts of curvature to them means they won't pocket together. And it means that they're not going to clog and get stuck together. Mm-hmm. I don't want to draw two of the same card ever. It doesn't matter what it is. I want my five-card hand to have five different cards. And 
if all my cards have unmatching rarities, then they also have unmatching curves to them, and they don't create little pockets that they get stuck in each other because they have identical curving. And uh, that reminds me of uh, the, the Hobby League uh, parallel rares that they, the upper deck used to print way back in the day because we, there's I don't know how many times I've had people ask, are hobby cards legal? Are parallel rare cards legal? Yeah, they're legal, but of course the rule, the, the catch is, you know, uh, are they like bent enough to like warrant uh, war, like marking in any sense or, or not? Because if they do do that, that it, it could be considered marking. But at the same time, if they somehow don't, then they're perfectly legal. And I've had like so many, I've had so many disputes about that, especially at the YCS at, uh, sorry, the Shonen Jump Championship, the 75th one in Edison. I had this one guy who kept sharking me every single time, trying to call a judge to try to get me in trouble because <laughs> I played with parallel rare cards back in the day and just did every single dirty trick in the book to try to get me to lose like by some some technicality thankfully it didn't work and i was yeah. i just plowed him too oh thank god but still it's like those parallel rare cards like i, I used them, so parallel rare kaiku the ghost destroyers in 2013 in my spellbook deck but uh the starlight rares mm -hmm. today have similar problems and the maximum gold rares in the new maximum gold set are really bad for it like those things are bending really bad mm -hmm. So do you think do you think that people would actually like use that kind of specific rarity to? No, I don't want to say like for cheat because they're trying to cheat or anything, but at least have that probability of like. Of I think drawing that if you're going to try and cheat, there's easier and less subtle ways to go about it, and that the people who are accidentally benefiting from it are unintentionally benefiting mm -hmm. from it, just as a generality. I know that like Max Reynolds mm -hmm. got in a lot of trouble for his yeah. Starlight or Lightning Storms at the start of the year. Yeah, that was like the Lightning Storm was the first main oh, deck really? Starlight rare that people actually bothered to use. There was always like the Wind Charmer <laughs> and Appaloosa up until that point, IP Mascarina and stuff. Yeah, but like, yeah, but Appaloosa and like the bends and like the extra deck cards aren't quite as like, aren't quite as prevalent. Like you would really right. penalize it so but much for a, He had a, a three so much marked like cards in his deck and they were just Lightning Storms. And I don't believe for a second that Max Reynolds is a cheater. I don't think that at all. So it just, it is what it is. Like he mm -hmm. got taken aside by a judge and like the <laughs> Starlight Rares are just dangerous to use. You got to be really careful with that sort of thing. There was uh, back in Australia, a kid, he had one of those double deck mm -hmm. boxes, the 5Ds ones with the magnet lid. And he had a common Monster Reborn in the right deck box because mm -hmm. he was playing the Hobby League one in his deck in the left half. And when they deck, they deck checked him, they're like, what happened? Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, I wasn't mm -hmm. sure if my Hobby League Monster Reborn was legal or not. So I brought this common one to swap out if the judges told me I'm not allowed to do it. And unfortunately, his deck box contained two Monster Reborns. Mm -hmm. So he ended up getting penalized. Yeah, because the judges will ping you on that if you have cards in your deck that aren't supposed to be, that aren't registered your deck list in there. Even though there's just like a gag card, a gimmick card or anything like that, or like some sort of like, like spirit card for yourself, like you can't have that at all. Like I had to deck check a friend at a regional and he had, uh, I, I forget what card he had in there, but obviously it was, it was at no business actually being in the main deck, but it was just there for, for fun. And I'm like, I'm sorry, like this deck is in your deck box. I have to, I have to assume that it is part of your deck and it's not yeah, registered. Deck, and so like I had calculator to the cases and stuff. I'm just, it's not a very friendly game. The rules are designed to hurt you, not to keep you safe. And I've had like so many people that just like, just had no idea, but I'm like, I'm just, like, I'm sorry. Like, I feel bad that I have to. Like give you this penalty, but this is what 
this is what the rules are. This is, I'm just an enforcer of the rules. This is what I have to do. And sure enough, I've got to give these penalties. And like, I get no, I get no joy in doing this, but I have to do it. And that's kind of a, it's a bit of a tough side on being a judge. I mean, some judges like it. I don't know who exactly, but I'm sure there's somebody that does. But you know, that event that that I milled the three Rikos at the Charger Life Brigade was the day I decided to be a YCS judge. (laughs) That that tournament at the end of it, I was just (laughs) so mad at like playing and saw that like the judge got like a whole box of the set. And I was like, man, like the judge is doing better than even the guy who came in first. And if you don't come in first at these events, you go home with like so little. I was like, screw this, man. I'm just going to like take judging more seriously, go back to it. And the original reason I became a judge on the upper deck days was to just get better at the game, to like learn the mechanics and the rules. But uh, that is like ultimately what led me to apply for like YCS Toronto back in 2012, where you and I met. And then that turned into, well, Halifax Mm -hmm. is going to start getting regionals now that there's a strong enough judge out there but they wanted to like train me a little more. So they put me on judge staff for Providence the following October and put me on the deck check team so I could get more fluent with that. And then that's also at YCS Toronto 2012, I was roommates with Asher Roberts. And at um, he was the head administrator of Julie Network at the time. He was the guy who was in charge of all of the staff. So he and I spent a lot of time talking about Dueling Network and that's what got me into the site. And his quote unquote hero was Redshift from Pojo, yep. a friend of mine, Ryan. And I told him, Ryan and I are really good yep. buds. If you want to meet him, we'll just yeah, go to his well. hotel room. It's not a big deal. And then at YCS Providence, October 19th, 2012, uh, Ryan was my roommate, Redshift. And we invited like, Asher over again. And that was the day I became an administrator for Dueling Network and like slowly rose in the ranks and met everybody who would later become staff in your organization and stuff. So I'm really glad that that Charger Light Brigade milled three Rikos. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Because first of all, I, first of all, I, I've met Redshift before. Great guy. And I've seen him. Like, I've, he had judged, uh, I think, a Rochester Regional that, that I topped at. I'll give you a quick little anecdote about that in a second. And the, when I, during the time when I was a Pojo mod, like, I would handle a lot of the Q&A. And so would he. And I'm like, thank God this guy is here because this guy is helping out so hard. And, like, he's, he's providing relief. And so at the Rochester Regional, I, I never met him before. So and I didn't realize that he was the one who was head judging the event. So I, I had this ruling that, I, that uh, my opponent and I weren't sure of. And I called I, I call them up and like I had a call and we I didn't argue, but like I kind of disputed with him a little bit because I thought it was this. And I'm like, I'm like, OK, all right. Like, all right. I thought it was I thought I was right. Turns out I was wrong, of course. And then I realized who he was. I'm like, oh, OK, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wouldn't have argued that. I know I the best ruling <laughs> mind in the game right now. Because <laughs> I'm. Yeah. One of the best, like I've seen a lot of people there, too, like uh, up there, too, I think. Uh, I, th- I feel like you have I mean, a couple of them on your organization as well. Yeah. Uh, I think like Net, like Nest, like Nest Double Zero, I think is on there as well. Fantastic guy from Argentina. Fantastic guy for rulings. I don't, I don't really question him a lot. There was one guy from Brazil that Corpse, yeah. Uh, his, yeah. he used his name. It was, it was Corpse. That's what he used his name on Pojo. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. Yeah. He was also one of the very was, few people that I would like, ever like, go like, against. He's still down there, but he doesn't play anymore. Yeah. He's the only person to ever be more yeah, right than that, Kevin. Yeah, that's what I imagine. So, remember that for the rest of my life. I loved that. There was a 
back in the day um in the pojo days everyone kept trying to just like find an instance where the dude would be wrong and he never was and then someone actually made a post of like here's an email i got from kevin yeah. saying you're wrong like suck it it's a finally like corpse has been wrong and then like three posts later in the thread kevin has to make a post being like yeah. actually i fucked up in my email my bad <laughs> corpse is the one who's right <laughs> He's too good. Yeah, I, I haven't heard from him in a long time, so I, I don't know what happened to him. But I know, but I assumed he wasn't playing the game anymore just because yep. his name wasn't there. But like I knew, like Ness Double Zero was there, and uh, like he and and uh, Redshift was there too. Like I know that those guys I can definitely trust. So you know, like there's some like good names out there you can trust. And I was that was kind of my role as well. I wasn't as good as them, but I was. I would call myself at least fairly reliable because the Q and A was one of the, one of the like the sub forums that I would monitor heavily when I was modding on Pojo. So like, and rulings was like one of my things because I started judging in uh, two thousand and I want to say two thousand seven is when I started judging, and then it's I've judged ever since then. But I've been like an on and off consistently because I'm still like a competitive player at heart. But usually when I judge, it's like it's either they just really are in dire need of judge staff or i'm like i don't like this format and i'm just gonna duck out and let you guys handle it or if i just don't have a deck to play then i'll like then i'll judge but i've had my opportunities to head judge and whatnot and like i have fun doing it and i'll still continue to be a judge from now until then but uh i'm still a competitive player at heart and like i'd rather be a champion than i uh head judge i was the guy who answered every thread in adjudication conflagration like the ninja fast answerer the guy who's always right from like 2011 <laughs> through 2013 until as i mentioned i joined dueling networks head staff and i trained a guy named alex gravely uh and tcb he's actually also a member of the organization and uh he then became like the quote-unquote hanzo because now it's late enough that ninja grandmaster hanzo is running around and uh he was like the guy answering everything and then <laughs> we uh I guess like my grand student, <laughs> like Alex trained a guy named Jackson Casanova who became like, he started to fill that role and Paul Kite filled yeah. that role for a little while. And they're both in the organization. And now like the current one who answers everything he does it on Reddit is a guy, mm-hmm. Gallant Tron. Uh, he's, he's now like the big guy who like knows every rule and stuff. And I am crazy rusty compared to like how I used to be. I, I get very simple things wrong all the time now it's you really have to stick to it if you want to be like redshift and ness and them and redshift's the guy who does all the ruling posts on the org so every single ruling that comes out of japan he translates into english by hand mm-hmm. himself he knows every ruling that's been made on a card in the last seven years mm-hmm. yeah and I, I agree with you on that like i've been on a bit of a decline with rulings myself just uh, like even though like i d- judge my locals a lot but i haven't like stayed in tune to like q a and rulings like like i used to just because ever since uh like problem solving card text came out it kind of diluted the need to like have all these like additional rulings because i remember like way back when you'd be able to search up a card and then they'd always have like this like this long list of rulings that you would have just uh, as a reference but you really don't have that so much anymore because uh, you know, when Konami printed out this problem-solving card text, that that kind of supposed to dilute the need for that. But yet, we still get a whole lot of questions, wondering, like, you know, does this, does this, or what happens? And I, I kind of miss having that, you know, that little handy dandy, 
like maybe like oh. app or any kind of website that would have that kind nope. of ruling out there. If like you go train, to db.uvorganization.com, like we have an online ruling database for every card ruling and it's viewable offline if you need it on your phone at OICS or something. <laughs> I'm going to look into that because that would be very very helpful for myself because i i get i still get a lot of judge calls at my own local and even on my own personal time i had a lot of people from my local and even outside my local that uh message me and say hey what happens when this happens like i, I even had phone calls that just when people were in the middle of a duel it's like hold on i'm gonna i'm gonna call me too and, i've had uh, chris Paravic call me, me. <laughs> i've had phone calls like it's actually and it's he is now chris is amazing <laughs> he's a great guy though nonetheless but <laughs> i yeah, I just just kind of find that funny when that happens. I haven't had like anybody of like that kind of star power kind of for me for a ruling, but uh, uh, nonetheless, it it has happened to me before, and it's kind of funny. It sometimes I don't mind it, but there are sometimes it's like, oh, I'm just like I'm preoccupied. Go bother somebody else, or please look it up, or something like that. I'm just really busy. But like when I'm, you know, when I'm like not occupied, I'm just chill. And I'm just kind of do something low key or I'm like in the video the video I'll game message, where I like pause, redshift but, on yeah, discord sure. if I'm like head judging an event and I'm second but, guessing yeah. myself yeah geez maybe I should have that source too if I need to because yeah yeah I trust redshift a lot and <laughs> I I can't believe I was arguing with him not knowing who he was I'm like oh my god I'm like yeah okay never mind if I had known this guy I was like no I made myself look like a fool and I didn't find out until after I posted like a tournament report online I think it was on Pojo. I put it on, and then Redshift says like, "Yeah, I was like, I'm sorry, like I didn't mean to, like, ha- like argue with you or anything like that." But it's like, this, you know, this is just what the ruling was. So I'm like, "Oh, that was you?" I'm like, "Oh, geez, okay, yeah, I take, uh, yeah, I, I was so in the wrong." That's yeah, he because I looked at him said, there, No one really yeah, knows what he wrong. looks I was like. Completely wrong, and he was right. Yeah, exactly. He he really doesn't. It's just <laughs> him with the, the the. It's always the the Pokemon substitute doll that he always has a like either like animated or like the actual doll yeah it, it, it's it uh inspired stores, by one of his best friends another members. member of the org named uh Dechen, dylan deadboarder okay he uses the substitute for everything and except for when he's oh, using his little frog yeah. icon yeah and then i know that like ness as well he he also uses uh this the same avatar over and over again i don't know who i it wish is. i could I tell like you i used girl, to like know animated, but i just but i don't, don't want to give the wrong answer but, he, but and, and i don't remember i'm sorry yeah, but I know it's like, but that's the same thing I've always seen yeah. on Pojo, and it's on again your Yu-Gi-Oh organization as well. So yeah, but it's just kind of funny how we've kind of gone through this evolution of like the people, the rulings people that you would never argue against, or like would would maybe like whose <laughs> comment yeah. would happen before they would yeah. ever be wrong on a ruling. And I've like been a part of like majority of them because I've been so immersed for the rulings for so long because that was like one of my strong suits back. In the I've day. had the I same Hojo profile picture image, whatever you want to call it, since 2004 when I registered. I took I took the artwork of Arclord Zerato oh, really? and I put it in paint my... and hit invert colors. So he's like all purple and blue and stuff. And I named myself on Pojo Arclord Azrael. Oh, really? And uh, <laughs> put that picture up. And then, like, three years later, Phantom Darkness came out with Dark Lord Zerato in it. And I was like, hey. <laughs> there we go. That's me. I think mine would always be, like, Don's Luke or, like, Gate Guardian or one of the, like, a variants of those two. Because that was, like, that, those, were my, those were my two favorite cards of the game. So and I would always have, like, something like that. That would always be my avatar. And then, like, the last time 
I was on Pojo. Like my last hour was like an animated version of like my yeah. wrestling self, my wrestling alter ego, my persona. Because like I because I did I do professional wrestling as well. I haven't like I don't do it as often as I used to. Like my last show was on New Year's Day. But uh, but before that, it was just like an animated version of me in like my wrestling gear. Uh, th- that was I'm the surprised last. There was no last, uh, skill card for Gate Guardian in Speed Duels. There was no like Gate Guardian deck made for that. That would probably get me attracted to Speed Duels, and I would probably have a deck aside for that because I've been yearning to at least do something nice with Gate Guardian. I think the best thing I could have done was. Uh, make like Zumbaba General and attach Gate Guardian to it, and that's as far as it goes for making would, that at least. I wouldn't be surprised if Legacy I, I Gate Guardian support came out in the coming years with like how they've been giving things like Thunder Dragon and stuff decks. Yeah, and then I would be think, and then I would look at my Gate Guardian collection over there. I'm like, <laughs> oh boy, I finally get to use you guys like in a in a deck because I oh, have wow. 44 Are they all Guardians at MRD or do you just have like an array name? of them? It's it's an it's an array of them, but I do have like a lot of first ed like English ones, like uh, foreign ones. I have several retro pack ones, and I have, like even have a couple fake ones that <laughs> I count towards the count because it's pretty funny to have a couple like uh, uh, fake gate guardians. It's called Gate Safeguard, by the way. I uh, and I actually submitted sound, not uh, last not night, dark. day before. I don't know times of blur. It's the pandemic. Uh, I submitted an article to TCG Player. It's going to be, yeah. it might even actually already be up on how to spot counterfeit cards. So, like your gate, your guy with the sound mm-hmm. attribute, gate safeguard. <laughs> S- yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm pretty sure the text says, it says for call, like please present. It's, it's supposed to say <laughs> Thunder God, but replace the H with a J. So it yeah. says, pr- for present, please present Jander. I'm like, oh my god! Like, I, this is so horrifically, horrifically like counterfeit, but it's so hilarious that it's it's one of those things where it's <laughs> it's so bad that it's good, and that's the reason why I, I keep it. It's like uh, it's like the Yu-Gi-Oh Forbidden Memories game to me. I think it's so bad, but because it's so bad, it's so good, and that's why I can't like I can't put it down because I'm like this game is terrible. But yet, I want to keep playing because I don't want to let this game beat me. I want to, I want to crush this stupid little game in my, in the palm of my hand, and I have to keep playing to kind of, you know, maybe assert my Fair dominance. Enough. I guess is, I, uh, is the best way to put it. I, I did just quickly go to internet.tcgplayer.com, and it actually is live. Uh, the how to identify fake cards has gone up in the last hour or two. Oh, good. Well, then we'll, we will get that at the uh, bottom of the description. Then we'll link that below for anybody who wants to read that. And man, uh, man, you know this uh, this conversation we had there really really took a turn into a lot of things that I never thought we'd I'd ever have a conversation about. And I thought it was, it was really cool about how we talked about uh, a lot of like how like you know card rarities and like the different points of psychology that we can kind of implement in this game. Like I had the conversation before about Yasin about like psychology in this but never to the not in this point that you and i discussed well, I'm glad. like, like i said i, I teach a, a class to, like, on how to play you. Yu-Gi-Oh, so. I mean, just well that, that means we have like, we have to get a game in ourselves because we've never actually played each other either i've never actually we haven't i played your scene like three times but i've never played you before so i i really want to play with you like in real life and just see what kind of psychology that we can kind of extract out of each other and see if we can <laughs> the last time i played against play a friend or something in like this that. kind of context we're like hey we're finally getting an event together let's play uh they described me as a terrorist just to warn you oh okay 
Good. I, I will I will remember that. Because I try to be like very polite and like try to grant a lot of sportsmanship, but uh, when I play against people, I usually let like the first mistake slide. People say, like, can I take that back? I'm My like, policy that's your is one and you can take one. any move that's back as often you. as you want, as long and as information it. isn't gained. If you summon the monster and ask for a response and I say no, now it's too late. If you Yeah, of course. Yeah, because that that point it's like card play, card play. Some people will be like, I'll I'll play the card and then it'd be like can I take that back? I'm like, yeah, okay. I'll let you take that one back. The, like, just like if they put like a field spell, for example. As long as they haven't like, like asked like a for a response or yet or anything, I'm usually okay. If they like monster you born and they bring back something and they go, wait, no, actually, I want to bring back that instead. I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Like, I, if I didn't have like a trap set or something, I I would rather play against yeah. you at your best anyway, just because you're like or like not you want to have like two more seconds to think about your play. Like that's fine. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of like baiting for like for that monster reborn example. You could be like baiting out a DD crow, for example, just just as like a way of like kind of gaining information. It's like, oh, they're not going to do that. Okay, maybe they don't have a DD crow. Okay, then like, so wait, so I change my mind. I guess so with this card. Yeah, that that I can agree on for that point. But uh, but again, like my example, for example, if they like play a card where like it doesn't do anything yet, and like it's okay to take back with nothing gained, then yeah, I would love to take it it's, back. And I, I completely get. What at the end of the day, point. it's a game. And, like, even if you're at a YCS, you're playing for, like, what? Like, a $500 Yu-Gi-Oh card? Like, it's not worth... Like, it's it's a full weekend. Like, especially if, like, you include a Friday, like, 72 hours for $500. Like, play a different game. <laughs> go, go learn your poker or something if you want to, like, lose sleep over, <laughs> oh, my God, this, like, one guy, like, screwed me or whatever. Like, it just... It, it's a card game. It's meant for children. Like, get over yourself. Yeah, <laughs> I I really like. I'd rather play for like the glory and the credentials more than like the actual prizes itself. Like the prizes is kind of cool. I like to like showcase it off, and then that's it. Like and then I'll sell it off, whatever. It's like I just want like the just like the set in stone kind of thing. It's like okay, you won this I, event, and no one can take that away from you. It's like I that's played what I in want. I like when I was in Australia, that's summer twenty thirteen, with the spellbook oh, deck. I played in a regional, and I went nine and zero. Oh. 18 yeah. and 0 in games and then the following weekend they had something called supernova and yeah. it had it was essentially the equivalent of a ycs because australia didn't have those yet and again i went 12 and 0 and 24 0 in mm -hmm. duels like i did not lose a single duel the whole weekend and nice like i all i the thing i take away yep. from it of all of those games is just like how i won the last one like it's not about like the prizing. I think honestly, what I won was like a box of raging battle and got like an ultimate rare power tool dragon, which was worth like three dollars at the time. But like the the things I do it for are more like yeah. the memories of like how I overcame stuff. Like I I very happily remember like an Ultra Geist versus Dinosaur matchup where he had like Dolka and Ultimate Conductor Tyranno and Lagia, and all I had was a Conkiri and a personal spoofing, and I still blocked his entire turn. Like just. Oh, in a Silkwoodus, rather. So, like, Kankiri got to block, like, mm -hmm. four attacks. It was really cool. But um, the last opponent, uh, the last mm -hmm. duel, game two, was against a guy named Liam Friedel. And uh, he, along with everyone else from that locals in Perth, Australia, was perfectly aware that I was on, like, a 50-win streak of duels here. And I'm playing my Spellbook deck, and he's playing Evil Swarms. He goes, first, mm -hmm. game two. Normal summon Karakian, normal summon another dude, make Ophion, mm -hmm. detach, search for the spell, set a couple cards, go. And in my draw phase, he flips over Imperial Iron Wall, 
and says, I finally got you. It's over. Like I've ended your streak. He's so proud of himself. He's super happy. Everything is great. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at my hand and I have Spellbook of Fate and High Priestess yep. of Prophecy. And like, I can't banish any cards. Like what am I supposed to do here? And my sixth card is Monster Reborn. Mm -hmm. And I Monster Reborn is Evil Swarm Karakian. It's a 1600 attack spellcaster. And I play Spellbook of Power and give it an extra thousand attack points and beat oh my god <laughs> so like it's what not the prize escape. that I play for it's the moments like that and you can only get those type of things against good players if you just sit there playing as three year old kids and win a thousand games in a row good for you mm -hmm. it's just the experiences are what it's about mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, that's the thing too, because like I, I do think that Yu-Gi-Oh prizing isn't uh, isn't the most fantastic or the most glamorous, but I just I love the credentials and knowing the fact that you know I have this many tops, I have I've I've done this, I've done that, I've won these kind of championships before, and you know it just feels good just to have it, and that's all. It's it's more than the it's the prizes I always just like sell off or whatever. There's only like, a couple prizes that I've kept because it has like actual sentimental value. Like my first, like my first YCS top, I still have the Minerva mat. I still kept that. Uh, <laughs> like I think my Rainbow Dragon mat. I think that's the first regional that I won. Uh, I kept that. It's just little things like that that I would keep uh, as like as like mementos and namesakes. Uh, other than that, like I would just throw away a bunch of prizes. I've sold like majority of like my regional mats that I've had or whatnot. But yeah. Winning those kind of events, like I love the glory behind it, and I love like the satisfaction after the game <laughs> winning because I'm a very competitive person, so I love winning. First of all, of course, like I have like my my ethics on how I win. Like I'm not gonna try to shark like a win or like, try to cheat my way to win or anything like that. I want like win like fair, honest, and that way like no one can criticize me for my wins. It's like this is how I won. Right. This is uh, and I, I, I mean the right way. again because the really only value win. comes from like your personal feelings on it if you know you cheated you'll never feel fulfilled yeah d definitely that because like you know deep down it's like okay well that wasn't really or that wasn't like a real win you just you like you're the you're the one who knows that you like you kind of was a little underhanded to get that win but right you know, it's you a drive it, like the right you don't way, have a drive like, to be a champion you have like a drive to be the champion and you'll know that you aren't unless you actually were better than everybody that's the thing you care yeah. about it's not necessarily the win. It's the status of being better. Yeah, ex it, it is. Like, there's the only one exception to that is that I, I think um, the first OTS championship I won, I lost to one of my local friends. Like, he was the only one who dealt me a loss. And then he got knocked out in top eight as I went on. Like, I never had to play him again. And, and he goes to me at the end of the term. He's like, yo, man, like, I beat this scrub so hard he wins the championship. Why can't I be champion? Like, we were just joking around. Like, we were just laughing at each other. Uh, but it, it was just kind of funny when it happens because typically he beats me more than I beat him. It's about, like, 60-40, maybe, like, 65-35 that he would beat me uh, than I would beat him. But just, like, the and then he beats me, of course, like, when it matters. But I come up with I, uh, the championship. And the last time I played in a Halifax the Regional, it's still going to be a long time ago because I have to judge them all. Uh, Dark Destroyer was brand new um, <laughs> and I'm playing this like what will become Pepe one more set from now deck Not I think Dracoface off maybe not yet but like uh, Lobster Pendulum and Plush Fire and stuff and I get sat across from a friend of mine playing Infernoids 
and yep. he reasonings me for 26 game one and two. <laughs> I, I can definitely relate to like just oh. losing for no reason to a friend at a big event. <laughs> and I can imagine that could be really frustrating. It just sucks kind of like the milling and the milling. It's like, when is this going to stop? Infernoid, stop, please. And it's like, yep. Well, there goes that. Yeah. It's like it's like you're, the game's over even before you get a chance. I've, I have to have played like ten thousand duels. Oh, the... I got like way more. Like I've got my rating, my highest rating on Dueling Network was nineteen fourteen, and like that was like two thousand games that summer. <laughs> and just I played at least a thousand games with that spellbook deck. Like it's just for years and years and years I've played and I've seen like everything <laughs> you can imagine. And it just somehow new stuff still happens, like every format <laughs> that you just wouldn't think. Like, um, oh my god, what was it? The uh, there's a card right now, Ice Dragon's Prison. Summon a monster from your opponent's graveyard. Then, if you want, you can banish it and a monster they control of the same <laughs> type. And a lot of people are playing this in Altergeist. And they shouldn't. It's a terrible card. It says <laughs> that you 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 can't summon Multi Faker with this trap because you can't summon other monsters <laughs> the turn you summon faker and you have to summon their monster and i'm playing this ultra guys mirror match against a guy and it's like okay well i know this deck and he is just doesn't based on like the duels we've been having i'm more than likely going to win this and he flips up ice dragon's prison on me and i'm like okay well like he's terrible and he's just made his odds of winning even worse but the card he takes with it is my multi faker and that works because Multifaker says you can't summon monsters oh, other than no. Altergeist monsters, and it just summons from deck when it's special summoned. And like he completely swings the game against me with this card that has no business being in his deck, and it's just like man. <laughs> so. It's like me like playing against somebody who plays gores and gadgets, it's just because like they're always supposed to have field presence, but they have a gores. It's like oh, killing me. But I'll just put that really quickly out there before I like shut everything down. Oh. Because I can, we can go on like all night about these bad beat stories that we've had of that we shouldn't be of games that we shouldn't be losing, and games we should have won. But oh god, like we can go all night on this because you know we played this game for you know over fifteen years at least. The both of us, <laughs> I lost have, to Jason Grabermeyer's gadgets at nationals in Canada before gadgets existed. He bought them from Japan and brought them over, and I just had to take his word for it. What they yeah. all did. I've only played him once, and that was like he was taking a break at a Canadian Nationals. I think this was when uh, it was. What yeah. was it? It was uh, when Rescue Cat was was the one that won the Charles Easton one, and he. I think he was taking a break, and he was. We were just playing. I think I was playing Salvo Dad, and he was playing Morphtronics, and we just we only had time to play two games. We just. <laughs> I beat him the first game, then he OTKs me the next game, and then we had to stop because he had to go back to work. So that's like the the one time I ever get to play Jason because. Oh yeah. To me, he's always been like incredible. He's an incredibly busy person. Like he's a lot. Love him. Love him. Love being around him. We've hung out a couple times too, like outside of the game. It's always fantastic being with him. But God, I, I, I wish I could have like more like actual Yu-Gi-Oh time with him. But you know, I I at least get the privilege of being able to at least hang out with him on a social level. Because like every time I see him at like a YCS, I say, <laughs> yeah. "Hey, Jason. Like I know you're busy. I just want to say hi real quickly and let let you go back to work." Do that, and then I gotta just walk off, and that's that's what I do. And like periodically, I'll say hi, and I'll always say goodbye. Dan, uh, thank you so much, man, for for being on the podcast, man. This is like really cool uh, conversation that we had. Uh, I would any, like uh, to shout out Earl because we, uh, we did a lot of talking about org members and like powerful judges, and he didn't come up, and I feel like that's an injustice. He works harder to be a good judge than anyone on the planet. Throughout 
everything and the whole reason I'm here is obviously all of the numbers, everything they've done, whether it's like people, uh, Ash Slaughter from uh, Duelist Grounds and Redshift and Ness from Pojo and Eva and Dylan and Cahoon and everybody. Obviously, Neo Arcadia, I am almost nothing without that guy. Uh, the people from Yugipedia, um, obviously all of them, Cheese Dude, Ultimate Karibo, everybody, Dino Guy. Uh, <laughs> even like the people from the Yu-Gi-Oh! subreddit for using our translations and being there for me over the years and helping me understand how like the Reddit works and how to leverage it into site growth and just just everything. Jason Gravermare for all his support over the years and bringing me on TCG Player Infinite so that I can try and help reach more people with the educational articles and stuff. And just it's it's honestly crazy. You for having me on the podcast and for helping me when I first started out my judging career, you and Chef Manahan were like the reason I was successful as a YCS judge. And, uh, Joe Franchino for being my first ever YCS head judge. Like I don't <laughs> Where do you even go, right? Like it's it's been two decades Great and guy. the last Great seven guy. years of it especially have been just crazy. So I, I know, like I've had so much fun playing this game for all these years and it's it's gonna be hard for me to stop just because like my, my passion and love for this game is, is still burns hard. And even though I don't have that much time anymore to play this game as much as I'd like to, like it's it's still there. And Shout out to Jeremy Thibault, Sharp Man, for being the guy I milled the three Rikos against because that's the domino that launched my Yu-Gi-Oh! organization career, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny how something sparks from <laughs> something else that you would never even think of. Dan, thank you again so much for coming on. Don't forget to like and subscribe. For more information, check out the Gate Expectations podcast on YouTube, Facebook, Patreon, Twitter, and Spotify. Mm-hmm.